Listener Production. Dr. Joe Dispenza is one of the world's leading experts in the fields of neuroscience and epigenetics. In order for some of us to wake up, we sometimes need a wake-up call, he writes. In 1986, he got that call. Dr. Joe was run over by an SUV while competing in a triathlon. He broke six vertebrae in his thoracic and lumbar spine. Deciding against medical treatment, he used his understanding of the body's innate intelligence to heal himself through thought alone. Nine and a half weeks after the accident, he was pain-free. He has now dedicated his life's work to teaching people how they can do the same. In this intimate conversation, we talk about healing yourself from illness and injury, how a shift in your thinking and the way you view yourself can change your life. Well, they used to say that you couldn't change your personality, that by the time you're 35 years old, you're pretty much memorized. But our research shows that's absolutely not the truth because when you start to think differently, when you start to act differently, when you start to feel differently, that there are going to be significant neurological changes, significant neurochemical changes, significant hormonal changes, and even significant genetic changes. So it's not genes that create disease, it's the environment that signals the gene that creates disease. I'm Sarah Grimberg and this is a life of greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Dr. Joe Dispenza is an acclaimed New York Times bestselling author. Some of his books include Becoming Supernatural, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, and You Are the Placebo. Dr. Joe is a doctor, scientist, and a modern-day mystic. In 2018, I attended one of his seven-day advanced workshops on the Sunshine Coast. I spoke to him shortly after that, and I started by asking him, how do you heal yourself by thought alone? Well, I mean, that's been my passion and interest, really, to demystify the mystical. And I think that we have within our reach all the neurological machinery to do this, the biological machinery to teach ourselves how to literally live a better life. And and it's interesting because the latest research, if you look at epigenetics, if you look at neuroscience and neuroplasticity, neuroendocrinology, psychoneuroimmunology, the mind-body connection, all of those uh, sciences, quantum physics, point the finger at possibility. But I think that this is a time in history where it's not enough to know. I think this is a time in history to know how. So if we're not hardwired to be a certain way for the rest of our lives and we're not doomed by our genes, but we're marvels of adaptability and change, so the next fundamental question is, now that I have the understanding, now that I have the intellectual data, now that I have the philosophy or the theory, then there's got to be a way for us to begin to apply it. So my interest then is to teach people how to apply, to personalize, to demonstrate, to begin to initiate that knowledge into truth. And so if they can get their behaviors to match their intentions and their actions equal to the thoughts, they're going to have a new experience. And yeah. the experience then is going to create an emotion. And it's the emotion then that begins to signal new genes in new ways. And so in a sense, they're changing their genetic destiny. So they're embodying the truth of the philosophy. So this is more than just thinking positively. No, no, no this absolutely is not thinking exactly. positive. It's not thinking positive yeah. because most people are thinking positively, but they're feeling negatively. Yeah. You know, they're, they're saying, I'm 
I'm abundant, I'm wealthy, but they're feeling lack and emptiness. So we have the mind and body working together. So if a person's able to reproduce an experience over time, they'll neurochemically condition their mind and body to begin to work as one. So now they're beginning to master that philosophy. And in a sense, then they're moving into a new state of being. And, and so I have a passion to help people to go from thinking to doing to being, from mind to body to soul, from knowledge to experience the wisdom, to learning it with your head, applying it with your hands, or knowing it by heart. To, to take the philosophical part, initiate it, and when you do, you begin to master it, right? So, so we have significant changes that we see in people's health because your personality creates your personal reality, and your personality is made up of how you think, how you act, and how you feel. So, the, so if so, you think... I don't feel well, I've got my leg hurts, then that's how you will feel. Or if you better yet, if you think that you're unworthy, yeah. uh, you're going to feel unworthy. If you feel like a failure, you're going to think that you are. So these are the cycles that keep our biology the same. So if our personality creates our personal reality, then it means that if we're going to change our personal reality, our life, we have to change our personality, which means we've got to start thinking Completely. about what we think about. Right? But how do you change your personality? <clears throat> well, they used to say that you couldn't change your personality, that by the time you're 35, years old, you're pretty much memorized. But our research shows that's absolutely not the truth because when you start to think differently, when you start to act differently, when you start to feel differently, that there are going to be significant neurological changes, significant neurochemical changes, significant hormonal changes, and even significant genetic changes. So it's not genes that create disease. It's the environment that signals the gene that creates disease. So think about this. The end product of an experience in the environment is an emotion. So if people live by the same familiar emotions every single day, they're signaling the same gene and genes make proteins and proteins are responsible for the structure and function of your body. So if you begin to change your thoughts and emotions, then in a sense, if you know how to do that and there's a formula for it, then you can begin to express a different gene. So Most people do the same thing every day. They wake up, they look at their phone, they go to the bathroom, they go make breakfast. If that is your routine, how do you change that? How do you, how do you make that better to be able to rewire your brain? Like everyone, most people have to go to work. They see the same boss they don't like every day. How do you sure. change that? So, so knowledge is the forerunner to experience, but we use the model, Sarah, of meditation because the environment is so seductive. Our bodies have been conditioned emotionally into the past or habitually programmed into the future. So in order to change then uh, you have to eliminate the environment. You've got to get beyond the thought that your leg hurts or you're unhappy. You've got to get beyond um, the, the predictable future and the familiar past. And meditation is the model to begin to teach people how to make thought more real than anything else. And there's a, there's a way to do that that begins to change and signal the body in different ways. And so we've reached a point in our own research and we reached a point in a week-long event, as you said, where people start to have their own personal breakthroughs. They're overcoming overcoming themselves, they're overcoming their past, they're overcoming their body as their mind. And the side effect of that is a significant reorganization in, in, in all kinds of biology. What have you studied and done that has made your meditation at a different level? Well, I mean... I use science as the model. I don't teach any meditation that's based on any tradition, any culture, any religion. Uh, I think that those are pretty much great for people that are part of that uh, culture or religion. But science is the contemporary language to demystify the mystical. So all the meditations that we have created 
are based on the science and the information that we studied. And we have our own research team. We have a, we understand when a person's doing it properly, when a person isn't. We, we're, we're regulating brain changes, heart changes, genetic changes, telomere lengths. We're measuring immune responses, neurotransmitters. We're measuring energy around people's bodies, the energy field in the room. All of that is evidence-based. So when I start to see that the information that we're using is actually creating transformation, and if I measure that transformation, then I have more information to teach transformation the next time, and you can begin to close the gap between knowledge and experience. So my meditations are based on my studies and looking at 8,500 brain scans, about 5,000 wow. HRV, heart rate monitor measurements. Uh, um, is it possible to signal new genes? We have research to show that people change their gene expression, that they signal genes to reduce cancer, uh, tumors, and growth in four days. We know that once people see the evidence in that, then the belief changes. Yeah. Like, and if you see somebody stand on stage with stage four cancer and has healed themselves in some way and they don't look any special or any different than you, you're going to relate to them and you're going to start to see people latch on to this new paradigm. And, and it's like a four-minute mile. We're at that point, Sarah, where we're, we've hit that four-minute mile where there's a shift in consciousness that people are healing themselves from all kinds of health conditions and it doesn't have to take too long once you know the formula. A lot of your meditations you talk about going into a void. What is that? Well, think about there's two real realms. Yep. There's a material realm and there's an immaterial realm. The material realm is made of matter. It has dimension, height, depth, and width. Most of our waking day, most of our attention is on everything material. We need our senses to define reality. But the other world is not anything to do with matter. It has to do with energy. It's an invisible field. And that invisible field of energy and information is called the quantum field. So reason this with me. If it's an immaterial realm, then let's take away everything material. Let's take away all the bodies, all the people, all the things, all the places, the planets, the moons, the stars, the light from the stars, the galaxies. If you take away everything material, what are you left with? A void, nothing physical. It's an eternal blackness. But just because you can't see something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So then Einstein said... The field, that quantum field, that invisible field of energy and information is the sole governing agency of the particle. It's the energy, the field that controls matter. So if it's possible, then when you begin to change the field, is it going to change matter? So when you unfold as an awareness, you have to get beyond your association to your body. You got to become nobody. If you're going to get beyond all the people in your life that you have emotional connections with and you go from a someone to a no one, if you have no attention on anything material, you're going to be in nothing. If you're not thinking about where you live, where you work, where you're sitting, you're going to be in nowhere. And if you're not thinking about the predictable future, the familiar past, you're in no time. And that dissociative process of becoming nobody, no one, no thing, nowhere, and no time leaves us with one element. That's consciousness. It's an awareness. And when you unfold as an awareness into this void of nothing material, we could say that in that moment, you're on the door to the quantum field. You're on the door to it. So then once people do that, we've measured tremendous changes in, in brainwave activity, tremendous changes in coherence, orderliness in the brain, uh, higher energy and amplitudes in the brain, and significant changes in their immune system, significant changes in the way their heart regulates, their neurotransmitters. And so they're dissociating from everything known in their life, then they're in this realm of an infinite unknown realm of possibilities. That's the quantum. So then if people then begin to take their attention off of matter, 
and they begin to put their attention on that field, once they start to connect with it as a conscious, not as their name or their body, but as an awareness, this signature, that unified field, that invisible field of organized energy that connects everything material, then once they begin to unify with that field, they're going to experience greater and greater levels of wholeness and oneness. Every time they connect with it, every time they pay attention to it, every time they stay present with it, every time they become more aware of it, in a sense then, every experience begins to lay down new neurological tracks in their brain so they feel like they're more connected to something greater. And that's the place we create from. So basically, you're saying that you can think of a situation you want to be in, a thing that you want in your life. And by doing this meditation, going into that quantum field, if you have the energy behind it, you are you could actually allow that to happen. Well, I think people have different skill sets. Yeah. Uh, and the closer they are to the connection to the unified field, uh, the more time changes. So we've seen people have instant, well, you witnessed it at, yes. the, at the Sunshine Coast, the people that have problems with peripheral vision and deaf perception because they have macular degeneration in one instant come out of a meditation and they can see, they can get their peripheral vision back and their deaf perception that they haven't had in 10 years. And people think this is crazy. Like I've been telling people around the office and they do not believe. Of course they don't. They, do, they because don't Because they're sensory-based. But, but here's the cool part. The cool part is that we have evidence in our, in our research all the biological scans, all the information we've gathered. We have evidence in our student body subjectively, hey, I've had this change. We have the evidence from a medical model that we've sent people for their scans, their x-rays, their CAT scans, their blood tests. And their, their before and after shows that there's been a significant change. So we have evidence in every, every level. And what people need to hear is exactly what we're doing, that they have mm-hmm. to see the evidence. And once they see the evidence, they're going to scratch their head and ask the same question you asked me, how do you do it? And I think this is a time in history where we have to Completely. really break down the how. So getting people then to begin to change the model up until this point has always been crisis, disease, diagnosis, loss, trauma. And people feel so altered that they don't want to go around living their life the same way. That's when they make up their mind to change and they start thinking about what they've been thinking about. They start noticing how they've been acting, how they've been speaking. They start paying attention to how they feel and then the feeling like, God, I've been feeling this feeling every day and I didn't even stop to think it was guilt. It just feels like me. So then as you begin to observe those states in mind and body, you're no longer the memorized program. You know, you're kind Consciousness, observing the program. And that's how we begin to objectify our subjective self. So the first part of change is to know thyself, is to, to be able to get beyond the memory of the self to create something new. And getting people to that elegant moment is the biggest challenge. You witnessed it in the week long because we have to get people, they're saying I'm doing it, but they're really not. So as we keep stretching them, as they keep having numerous times of connecting, sooner or later they start breaking through. And the breakthrough will have significant effects, not only in their body, but ultimately in their life. And so what we're asking people to do is to develop that skill of being able to change their brainwaves. We measure, we, we know when a person's truly there, when not, we, we, we know when a person's experiencing gratitude or kindness or care or love or joy for life, we can measure that. We know, we know that when they do that, their immune system dials up big time. They get more healthy, they more energy for growth and repair. We know their neurotransmitters that they make, make them happier and more joyful and, and dream better and, and, and be more lucid. We know that the gene expression changes, telomere lengths change. Um, we see everything. So the research then has to be out there. And we're piercing that four minute mile, which means when somebody sees someone else heal from a condition and they have that same condition, 
Now they're more invested. Now they're going to say, well, I'm treating, I'm taking these drugs, I'm doing these things, but I'm staying the same. Well, that's because the medication isn't changing the condition. It's basically just masking the symptoms, it's keeping them status quo. So then when you start understanding that you can signal new genes, when you understand how to do it, then of course you'll assign more meaning to why you're doing it. So I don't do any type of meditation that's right. based, it's all based on the science of how to do that and to demystify it. So we now know then that we can teach it better. We now know that people latch on to it better. And if I have them for a week and they've retreated from their lives and they're no, you, no longer seeing the same people or going to the same places and doing the same things or experiencing the same objects in their life, they're no longer associating themselves with that present uh, personal reality or their environment. And so we teach them how to get beyond their environment, beyond their body and beyond time. And, and it's that moment where you're in the sweet spot and getting beyond yourself is the key. So I think it, for the most part, people will begin to understand that this is the new normal. And I, I think that's my, what my passion is. Now, not everybody hits that point, but we got so much more evidence that more and more people are doing it. And tell me, I know you do a lot of other kind of teaching people to heal themselves, teaching other people how to heal others. Is the final thing to get this kind of work into hospitals, would that be a thing that you would want in the end? I think that ultimately, if it's evidence-based, then my, my interest is making it evidence-based. Otherwise, it's dinner conversation. Yes. It's theoretical. But our student body, I have to have enough evidence and enough skill amongst our community that I can say that 50% of what we do produces an effect. When I'm at that point, uh, we already have hospitals and, and doctors and researchers that are interested in our work because doctors come to me and say, wow, this was uh, this person was stage four cancer. And, and I, I pronounced her dead three times and I didn't think she'd make it through the night. And now there's no evidence of anything in her body. What in the heck just happened? So that kind of experience and that kind of evidence begins to cause the medical world to say, uh, maybe I'm remembering why I got into medicine in the first place. Maybe there's another way. And so I like that. I just think we're just a, a little bit ahead of the curve. And I do think that, you know, doctors and researchers now looking for us, uh, it's, a, it's a good place to be. And, and when, we're, when we're real good, and uh, it's not for everybody because it, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But again, once you know the formula and you practice the formula, it becomes a skill. So ultimately, I do think that the, one of the end game effects would be that uh, it would be more integrated into a new model. We hope so, Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're welcome. You're welcome, Sarah. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Nikolich and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.